get that gong to start every podcast that's a uh, expensive noisemaker <laughs> you want to spend 10 grand on a podcast intro every time you get so much enjoyment out of that i mean i do but it would be a little bit ridiculous <laughs> testing good we're back in a new room i know i think that's what's so messed up about it it like, feels weird it does feel weird. Yeah, huh? like that window too. I'm, I'm used to like the cave of the old podcast room. Well, that window is going to get covered because it makes it a little bit tinny in here. And so we have a sound blanket. For oh, like the one that was downstairs? Yeah, because glass tends to ping and that's, the glass behind you is a little bit pingy. The, the sound boards that we have are actually not the best kind because they're not made out of felt or foam. Oh, so was it like bounce off a little too hard? Mm-hmm. It's also weird because it's my old bedroom. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> feels a little bit creepy. Yeah. Anyways. Um, God, what are we going to... Oh, yeah. Fitness is fucked. Welcome back. FIF. Um, what are we going to talk about today? I think the difference... Maybe not the difference, but it might come up of coaches and influencers. Ooh. Specifically... <laughs> specifically, the boat-carrying kind of influencer... <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, that that's right. became a mixed mar- martial arts coach in the last... Four to six weeks. So to be honest, I haven't watched the fight. I only watched the tidbits uh, between Patty and uh, like some of the shit online, which is pretty funny. But it matches what I've been saying for a really long time. So I feel free to talk about it, <laughs> even though I'm kind of uninformed. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like at the end of the day, I am also not an MMA coach. So I'm not saying I know it's right or wrong. But don't you think that that is the point. You know that you're not, therefore, would you ever go ringside with somebody who had potentially, like, I don't know, a life-altering fight? Uh, no. Yeah. And I think when it comes to, I mean, if you just look at Tony Ferguson, his record, yeah. the last, I think he's lost his last seven fights, and, like, the way it's happened, again, not knowing the ins and outs of his life, mm-hmm. but, like, you know, you see his mannerisms, listen to him talk, Kind of like he has this very worn, like his face is starting to look like a catcher's mitt because it's taken quite a bit of abuse. Let's, I'm going to Google this. And I feel like when you like just kind of go into his history of MMA, the way he trains, like he's always known for having this massive cardio base, pushing the pace, you know, three to five rounds, depending on what kind of fight it is. Running him into the ground prior to a fight just doesn't inherently seem like the best idea. Uh, walk me through that because I didn't, um, I didn't know that this happened until you told me about the like uh, up to the fight. Like, what, what, yeah, what so did you see online? Just the little tidbits I saw was essentially like he hired Goggins on to be like his trainer, at least from a fitness cardiovascular standpoint. And I don't know what encapsulates Hell Week, but I know he put Tony through his Hell Week, which I saw a video of them like. One was on a treadmill, one was on an assault bike. I don't know, distance, duration, time. I'm guessing if he's calling it Hell Week, it's probably a fairly difficult week. Sure. And he said, I believe he said nobody's ever gotten through it. Tony was the first one. Um, 
And that was about the extent of what I saw. I think that's about the extent of what they put out on social media, at least. Yeah. Fuck, this is fucking crazy. So the first thing is, like, there's a whole stream of people talking about whether Tony Ferguson has CTE. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the first thing that pops up on Reddit. Um, I mean, there's no way he doesn't. No, no, there's definitely, like, brain damage. I mean, there, when right? you watch the fight with Michael Chandler and watch what Michael Chandler's front kick does to Tony Ferguson's face, mm-hmm. and you're like, bones look like they moved around. Like, it was shocking nothing got broken that I'm aware of. But things still got rattled quite a bit. Yeah, and I mean, he was out like a fucking plank, like stiff as a board for a while. Why do you think um, like this? Why do you think that David Goggins like hardcore mentality is so? Why do you think it hits like a resonant with people? I, to a degree, I don't know because it doesn't hit one with me at all. No, um, I, I do think his given his pseudo military background (laughs) and then his like no pain no gain like i think there's still that demographic of people that like latch on to that and i don't know if it's because just like doing a lot of work and running yourself into the ground feels like the right way to train Mm -hmm. um and i he's like i think the way he just like discusses things and talks he has this like very over masculine like just do the fucking thing, nothing else matters kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that is alluring to people. I mean, it's an archetype, right? It's like the old um, drill sergeant. Um, and there's some, there's some degree of usefulness, I think, especially in our culture. I see it as the pendulum. Like our, our, our culture right now is so soft. That's the uh, antidote to the softness. Yeah. It's the harsh. And so, so I do see it as like, a, a utility of a voice, but it's at the extreme end of what's actually useful. Right, but if you look at the other side of that, it's the soft end of that, which probably doesn't resonate, so then they go that way with it. 100%. Uh, I think the um, <laughs> the person that is known as David Goggins, he's, he provides quite a bit of entertainment, but also uh, I, I don't dislike the guy for sure. I mean, I don't necessarily like uh, thrive off of like listening to him, but I think he provides a reference point. And I, he provided a reference point before he did this. And one of the things that I talked about, because some people got mad at me, we, we talked, I, I mentioned him in like passing on another podcast, and I got a fucking Marine dude, somebody who like, I was so disrespectful. He's never listening to our podcast again because I made fun of David Goggins. And I, it made me laugh because first of all, fuck you. Like I don't, yeah. I don't care. But also, it, it was interesting that somebody could be so defensive when they don't understand what I'm saying. He is the, why he's a problem. The problem is, is that when you teach endurance, uh, and I mean really teach it so that it is a useful skill, and uh, you basically teach people to go to the brink of what is, for lack of a better uh, term, like good for them. Like you're teaching somebody to push past their normal, uh, like kind of inclination to stop. Yeah. And you're teaching them how to do it appropriately so that there's no long-term damage. Right. And I'm assuming it's something you want them to be able to continue to repeat over and over, depending on the duration of whatever that training is. So endurance, endurance is not necessarily about the event, although it could be because plenty of people, uh, plenty, plenty of like, Endurance athletes would legitimately trade or sacrificed uh, years off the end of their life for 
you know, medals or accomplishments in their, you know, prime. And so we do recognize that there's an exchange there and people voluntarily go there. The The difference is, is like when we take somebody there, there is never a point in anybody that have ever trained or trained with or trained myself to do. There's no point where you should basically ignore all the red lights. Right. Like that is not good training that the essentially like it's his style of training is the common cause of endurance, right? They're just like, put a blindfold on and like kill yourself into this effort because it's worth it. Even though like what they're, what they're destroying their, their physical body on is nothing more than an arbitrary event on a Saturday. Like maybe because there's no great cause, maybe because there's nothing that you, you could really sacrifice yourself for in this world that, that, like for a certain personality type, that archetype comes up as like relevant where you're like, oh, well, I don't have a great war. I don't have a, you know, a, a battle to fight or I don't have a great cause to sacrifice my body for because that is a, that's an archetypical uh, feature uh, of like this warrior mentality of sacrificing yourself for the greater good. But what I'm arguing is that an endurance event on a Saturday is not... An endurance event on any given Saturday is not worth sacrificing your body for. Like right. it's a plastic spray painted gold medal that says congratulations. And it's devised by people who want to make money off of this thing. And so you're you're literally put his style of training is basically using these events as crucibles to prove yourself to nobody. Right. And that's what I'm arguing against. When we teach people to train for endurance or to um you know in endurance not just the event or the system that's involved into it but literally the the idea of being able to take care of yourself for a, the long term the number one thing we want people to be sensitive to is whether they should stop or not because at any given point stopping prematurely from finishing an arbitrary race will probably allow you to attempt it again sometime in the future, protect against long-term or permanent damage. And not doing that means that you you basically, you make any other attempt at endurance or hard efforts kind of impossible. And so you, you in in listening to this voice that he, he has become kind of the person head for is just like, shut up and don't listen to your inhibition or don't listen to your uh, inclination to stop or don't listen to this uh, hesitation to take care of yourself. That's what it bothers me. Yeah. And I, I like, I don't know if it's actually a fine line. It's probably a very large line of like taking care of yourself, but not quitting, but also recognizing when quitting is the right thing to do. Because yeah. there's that, I mean, we see it in the gym all the time, right? You see people on a spin bike or something, all mm -hmm. of a sudden you see the panic mm -hmm. and you know, like you're good, but they don't know that yet. Right. And that's like the point to get them to work beyond. But when you get somebody that's that level and that elite, pushing into some sort of pain cave for Tony Ferguson, I imagine, is not difficult at all. It's probably a place he enjoys quite a bit. Which, I, I imagine he's built his identity off of it. Yeah. Like like a lot of MMA people, it, like the grind, all of this kind of like you know, overemphasized. Uh, you want to be a sizzle reel for a 30-30 episode or something. And so you like, you are... People think they gotta like grind, but they become the meat that is being ground. Right, <laughs> and that, yeah. that's what you want to avoid. And that's to me at least, that's what he looked like in the cage. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like uh, he looked just like gaunt, worn. Like 
eyes sunken in, mm-hmm. like almost like pasty in a sense. Like he didn't have good skin color from yeah. what I remember seeing him at. Mm-hmm. Um, his, his system is shutting down. That's what it looks like. Which is, um, I'll be like, seeing this is the saddest part of what David Goggins perpetuates is not knowing when to call it. Right, not knowing when enough is enough, and like if you watch Tony Ferguson when he fought in Salt Lake, um, everybody's like that should have been his last fight. Yeah, you know, it, it, people that like were were rooting against him. I, I would say people that are rooting against him was like, bro, just fucking chill. Like, it's not like he hasn't proved himself as a fighter. He is a fucking freak of a fighter. Right, remember, like in his prime. He proved he was a contender I mean, that, of one of the best in the world. I think he had a 12-fight win streak. Yeah. And he was a nightmare yeah. for everybody. Yeah, like, he was they, hard to deal with. Everybody else left the cage looking the way he now looks when he leaves the cage. So this is what I see. I don't know Tony. I don't know any. I don't know his camp. I don't know his trainers. But as somebody who has been... I, I've been involved in mixed martial arts since I was 20. So I've seen... This happens so many times, it's really easy to identify, which is the thing that got him into being successful is not the thing that is going to continue his success. Right. He is in he is the opposite of Tom Brady, right? He's the person who used hard work and shutting down that, you know, uh, that internal dialogue of telling to take care of yourself. He shut that off and that got him to a very far ways. And then he continued to use that once he had already made it. It's a wrong vehicle for him. He, he would have had so much more longevity if he would have, first of all, taken care of his brain and not tried to punish himself into shape is what it looks like. And this is, this is a, what's the order of Catholics that like whips themselves. You would know that way better than me. I know exactly what you're talking about, but I don't know their name. I can't remember the. Is it made? It was made famous in like the Da Vinci Code, right? That's. I was gonna say. I know it was in a movie. What is it? I lost it. Anyway, there's this um, this atonement that I think young males. I certainly went through it myself, where I like couldn't punish myself enough to yeah. prove that I belonged. Yep. I thankfully learned it on a bike, which is way better than learning and getting punched in the face. I was going to say me too, but different bike. Different bike, but same <laughs> yeah, yeah, paddling yeah. to nowhere. I mean, just because I was moving didn't mean I went anywhere. Right. It. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I have a soft spot for people that are in that place. Luckily, I had people to pull me out of it. People to be like, calm the fuck down. You're not like, it, it doesn't make a difference. Like you hurting yourself in order to prove to yourself that you're worthy doesn't actually prove anything. It just proves that you're dumb enough to hurt yourself, which I do think is a skill. I think being able to know when and how much you're willing to sacrifice your body for an experience is, is definitely something that I think most people should develop, but it's one of those things that you need to touch and then know and then don't abuse. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Which you have experienced during a certain (laughs) 70 second air bike to nowhere right and i tried it it's funny you bring that up like i tried after that to get back into the air bike and i'm guessing it's a similar in a sense thought tony may have had Mm -hmm. um in like the i need to do what i used to do to get back to where i was when you're not the person you were when you started and you need to take which you know you just basically said but like a more measured approach to like not getting back to what you did, but like what makes this person better for this fight? Not like what did you do 
10 years ago mm-hmm. to get to where you are, but like, what do we do with what we have now to make you successful in the cage or whatever your endeavor is? Yeah. And like for Brady, that was new diet. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure like some sort of strength training regimen that probably re- resembled Pilates or some weird mm-hmm. shit he was doing, but it wasn't like, Oh, I need to be 20 year old Tom and go back to whatever he did. It seemed yeah. like he evolved. LeBron's doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think in those sports, a lot of people are like taking the, Oh, I need to start adjusting the way I work out, take care of myself, nutrition, mm-hmm. recovery, sleep, you know, all that fucking shit. Yeah. Um, and then there's the other people and it's probably, you'll probably find that mentality. I'm guessing more in like a football and MMA, like a more contact driven sport where like, you know, if you hit hard, you're like, I got to be the linebacker that hits hard. So yeah. I'm just going to keep doing that until I can't do that anymore. And then I'm going to try to reinforce it again by going back to the way I trained when I was 22, even though I'm 36 or whatever. And I've been in this league or this fight promotion or whatever for a decade. Yeah. It, it makes me think of, do you ever watch, I'm going to guess no Rocky six, I think. I've probably seen it. It was like the first Rocky when he was old after. Yeah. Like yeah. I saw, yeah. yeah uh-huh. And the whole premise was like, I'll, always remember the quote like we're gonna build you hurting bombs yeah because they recognized and i don't know what his fucking age was in the movie yeah. like 50 or 60 but but probably his athletic age is like 95 yeah but like the premise <laughs> of the movie was like their his coaches recognized like we can't train you like we did in yeah. russia for rocky four because you're not fucking that guy anymore like your body's a disaster so what can we improve upon so maybe you have a chance at winning that well this is i i think this is a a really um maybe a bad incentive to most professional sports is that they're not set up. They're set up as selection methods for like tough guys to start, but then really quickly, the best in the world, like you mentioned, Tom Brady, like the people that are making a lot of money, they reinvest back into their health in order. So this is where I go with anybody. I I think this, this counts for literally anything. If uh, any profession you're in, uh, because you could be money managing, Right, and you could be selling real estate or whatever brokering. You could be a professional athlete, you could be a professional fighter, a professional basketball player. If you leverage your health for wealth, in the end, you'll have neither. And that's because it, it's it's essentially taking on debt to try to make profit, which does not work. It's not a viable strategy. If the best way to put it for for people who are into money, imagine imagine you're you want to become a doctor. I don't care what doctor. A doctor that makes money though, like not like family medicine, like like plastic surgeon. Okay, gynecologist popped into my head probably because of Misty Bravo laying under the table. <laughs> so let's say let's say like plastic surgeon or or in, like inpatient care where you actually have a chance of making like real money. Um, uh, I, there's a guy that I roll with who's a plastic surgeon. He's got money. In fact, he like tapes fucking hands. He's like, these are my money makers. Oh, sure. Yeah, he's like, don't. It's shocking he does jujitsu. Yeah. Right? Except he loves it. And yeah. He can't, it's like part of how he, his brain works. But let's just say he's he's like retiring at 62 and he has like six different houses and different islands and shit. He's like set for life. But uh, his health isn't great. And that's because going into medical school, you're generally leveraging your health in order to get through uh, the initial schooling. I mean, and wealth. Yeah, yeah. And well, that's part of another debt system. But I would say like, when, talking to most doctors, when they do the residency, it's insane. Yeah. Like the average, I think a couple of doctors have talked about this, like your average sleep each night is like three or four hours. 
you're like you definitely and that's for years and that might be in the hospital yeah. on call mm-hmm. hoping you don't get which isn't good sleep anybody no. that's done shift work knows like you wake up at anything especially right. if you're in residency because you're nervous you're going to get fired or cut or whatever yeah. it's called yeah. because you're like i missed my page or my phone call or whatever it was to come support whatever you're doing yeah and so uh, the profession <laughs> the profession that is most geared towards uh taking care of people in the healthcare industry is literally designed to kind of select for only those who can withstand the pressures of an unhealthy lifestyle, which to me boggles my mind and partially or fully explains why we don't actually have healthcare. We have sick care because the people who um, are the guardians or you know the barriers of entrance into what we would call healthcare by having a doctorate in medicine, uh, they they have leveraged. Therefore, they want other people to leverage so they're in the same spot. This is where the profession doesn't isn't allowed to progress because we're trying to just have hierarchy kind of hold people through the same crucibles so they have to suffer and that will mean like you really care about medicine if you fucking are willing to ruin your own health. Well, take that and put that on any other profession. It's very, very similar. You want to be a stockbroker or you want a, a trader, commodities trader, any of these things. These guys are working like 14 to 16 hour days from the time they're like 20 to the time they're like 35. And in that, it's uh, in order to blow off steam or in order to like kind of deal with the stressors, which are big stressors, they're like, you know, wrecking it on the weekend, like tons of alcohol, tons of drugs, tons of like behaviors that don't exactly support the damage that they're already doing. And then by the time they make enough money to make that thing worth it, all they're buying back is time and health, right? Like this is... uh, I think, uh, what's his name? Uh, Alex Ramosi had a thing on this, which is really funny because he's just making fun of like all the billionaires that are like, wake up. Yeah, they're like, wake up and fucking ice bath and sauna. And they're all they're talking about like health practices that help them be able to make millions. And he's like, that's not true. That's not how they did it. They got up and they worked incredibly hard from, you know, morning to night and (laughs) made a bunch of money. And now that they have the money, they can afford all these practices and they forget that it hasn't, they're doing these to make up for the leverage that they used on their health in order to make their wealth. And therefore, when you actually look at it in reality, they're not making either. Right, because they're actually bringing their health like almost to baseline from whatever deficit they created in that job. If they're lucky, I I would say. So when you look at professional athletes carrying on kind of the same thing, except their health is their longevity. I would say your health is your wealth because if you extend your longevity for which you are cognitively applicable and physically capable, your ability to make monetary or however you want to measure it, wealth, what um, we'll just call it security, um, the, the longer you're able to do that proactively and efficiently, that's the wealthier you're going to be. So when people come to us and they're like, you know, want to leverage this thing, the first thing we kind of talk people out of is over leveraging their health in order to get anything out of it. Now, some exceptions to that rule are, you know, uh, minor leaguers going into the majors or something like that, where you're like, we are going to push past uh, in order, uh, we're going to push past the logical line in the sand that we would say is healthy. Because if you can make that barrier to entry into the majors or, you know, for for military into special selection groups, if you can do that and then you can have the life experience you want 
And so you can't do that if you're too careful around a certain thing. And I would say the same thing is true of MMA. If you want to make it into the UFC, you 100% at some point are going to have to leverage against your health in order to make it. And that might be risking, you know, uh, throwing in the towel in, in an extremely difficult fight where you are getting like permanent damage, but the excitement of the fight might sell you into a professional career and get you million dollar contracts or whatever the thing is. That That's an exception to it. But the second you can, once you're into that barrier of entry, you'll notice, especially with, you know, selection processes in the military, once you're in, you fucking stop. And you come back and you then you start taking care of yourself. Everything becomes, and most of the guys that have longevity in that field that we know kind of did that. You know, they have permanent damage from their selection process. You know, <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, spine stuff from the rucking. Yeah, knees, ankles, yeah, the whole thing. Everything, which we'll get to rucking later. But um, that, but as soon as they're done with it, if they're smart, if they really want to have a uh, like a lot of longevity in that field, they have to go back and start taking care of themselves. The, the food matters, their sleep matters, all of that stuff starts racking up. Where I think you see a lot of damage is these people come back from stuff like that uh, and they've lived off of Ambien and MREs and you know whatever for that category. And they're just, they'll, man, they're never gonna get it back. It, Th that's a problem. And it always seems like, and this is something I've heard you say a lot um, when you guys did movie jobs, but there's always the coach that's ready to like fucking you know, bury you in the dirt to, you know, get you to the next level. But there's rarely the coach that then walks you back and teaches you how to unfuck all of that. Yeah. Which is something I've heard you say a lot that you did with the actors mm -hmm. and stuff. Cause you know, you recognize like the effects of the calorie deficit and the way they're training, especially cause it's not potentially normal to them. Yep. And it's like, okay, like scenes over shots over whatever it is, walk them back to like a normal baseline ish, mm -hmm. um, kind of place that they can then go do whatever from as opposed to just like well movie's done or your fight's over see ya good luck yeah figuring out how to recover from that yeah i think on ramping and off ramping is like very it's not discussed because most people involved in entertainment or entertainment being sports too um they're so desperate to quote unquote make it yeah. that they are they don't care about they're not looking at the long-term effects that are going on the reason why I think we addressed it initially was because we're going to work with these people again. And if we don't off ramp them, like we on ramp them, then we're going to have a, a harder situation when we come back. Yep. And no matter how hard we try, um, it's, it's very hard to appeal to production to make it within their interest to fund the off ramp. Sure. Now we don't do a job unless they do it. Like, the it could be the most exciting thing in the world but if the production isn't willing to support the cast crew or whoever that we're messing with through you know at least two to three months of off-ramping there's it's not gonna like it's not interesting to me because they take people to a very sensitive state and then they drop them off a cliff at the worst possible right. moment and in our in our experience is like okay, it's a job, it's cool, it pays kind of the same. We're not asking for that much to continue the process. What we're asking is like, for us to finish our job so that you don't get actors after talking about how fitness is so terrible and it's so bad for you. And, you know, Jerry Butler's probably like the 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 extreme case of this where he was just like, oh, I was so broken and I had like so many shoulder injuries and this, that, and the other. And you're like, yeah, you also took a bunch of shortcuts. And then when it was time to 
off-ramp you, you just quit everything and then went back to your normal shitty lifestyle, uh, drinking heavily or whatever. Right, you're, and you're in a worse place now going back to that yeah. than you were when you were doing it before. Yeah, because now your body is in such a deficit and now you're giving it the same shitty support that you had before you leveraged against it. And so I, I think it's like, it's worth mentioning. Uh, I think this has less to do with the Tony Ferguson and David Goggins thing and more to do with like, fitness is not harmful. Right. And, and if it is, it's not fitness. It's it's something else. It, it's like a different aspect. You're like, if you're going to win the Olympics or you're going to try to win the Olympics and you're like, I'm willing to remove years of my life in order to do so, that that is a leverage and it may be worth it. But I think that conversation needs to be had about anything that you do. Uh, and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't, I don't think it has to be like a world stage of the world best to be able to do one of these things to experience it. You could be like, I want to win Lodija and that's just a bike race that's up north, but it's fairly competitive. And you're like, if you were willing to lose years off your life and, and years off of life, it might not just be like your mortality, but you know, your ability to walk correctly. Right. Like actually like doing things you enjoy doing. Quality of life yeah, quality might of be life. the might be the thing. If you're willing to leverage that, that's a that's something that your coach or you need to be very vocal about. Hey, I'm willing to risk this so that uh, when it is over, um, there's care that goes into that off ramping process, I think. Yeah, and I I mean we've talked about it a lot where like performance doesn't equal health. No, <laughs> but that also doesn't mean that like you have to go so deep into performance that it's unhealthy to the extreme. Yeah. There's a moment that happens, uh, especially if you're like highly competitive, you probably felt it in powerlifting where training is good for you. Uh, it, it sets you up, not, not just like, not just for your body, but it, it sets your mind and your kind of psyche and your being to be valuable. Mm. Uh, it gives you identity. It gives you purpose. It gives you drive. It it establishes like all of these things that we've talked about for like thousands of years um, in, in the utility of exercise. Like, I think if you don't recognize these values of it, it becomes the futility of exercise. But that's a different book title and a different thing that we're working on. <clears throat> but there's a lot of use behind just like working towards something, no matter how benign it is. The argument, funny enough, is that uh, your real life. As in, like, you know, your apartment and your bills. Yeah, and, like the stuff dog. you do when you're not around everybody. Yeah, or whatever. Or 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 yeah, around, yeah. Your society think uh, engagements. Those are arbitrary constructs of your identity. They're just societal ones. Exercise or sport are just special rules, and there's no difference. Like, you're just getting out of one and coming into a special world, which gives you identity. But when you come back that identity can help you solidify. And if you don't understand the barrier between those, you get lost between them. This is where you get where your sport becomes you or your identity becomes the sport or your thing that you're in. Uh, they're just constructs in order to give you a sense of being. The more ordered the construct, usually the better for people because you go, you know, um, the rules are well known on how to get better, right? Like I score more points, but in life, it's an arbitrary construct without general rules. Right, there's not necessarily a scoreboard that's easy to understand or manipulate. Yeah, and you don't know who really your actual competition is. Like, you're just like guessing kind of like who you're against and who is with you. In fact, the, the lines are so blurred that 
it's that's why most people are frustrated with the game. But in sport, you're like the ball hits the white line, it's out, or sorry, it's in in tennis, depending on you know what the sport is. That very hard construct allows me to say I'm good or bad, or I'm getting better or I'm getting worse, and that gives you a sense of like being to it. So the constructs are very very useful. So when you look at like is it worth uh, is it is it worth what's worth knowing yourself? And you're like almost anything, right? Like sometimes a short life is worth it if it's lived a certain way to some people. Sure. And, and uh, sometimes it's not to many people. It's not They like this slow burn kind of life, but there's not that there's a right or wrong way to do it, but there's a conscious way to do it. And what I don't like about David Goggins's approach, it is an unconscious way to experience something that is marketed as something that it's not right like when he says like you know you gotta get up and drive the boats and you gotta you know he's just like talking about blowing through you know his capsular joint space and crushing his connective what he, what tissue. He has left yeah if there is anything left i mean the guy like he, he's basically just talking about grinding himself into a pulp and how you know how that's so cool well he's made a caricature out of himself for him it's paying off because he could pay, he gets, what did he get paid? He got $500,000 to talk for an hour or something here in Salt Lake. Oh, at that convention thing? Yeah, yeah. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. So, because he ran around a track a few years ago with bloody feet and broken toes or some shit. And then, 100%. So, but think about it that he leveraged his health and he got some wealth you from it. You got a now, reward. Now, how much is it going to cost to replace his knees and all of it? Oh, fuck done. You know, it's like, it's, and it's never going to be the same. This is what, this is what I told uh, a friend at a jujitsu gym. We, we, and I mentioned this before on a podcast where like we were watching Musa Menchi and like somebody grabbed his foot. Musa Menchi is like one of the best jujitsu guys on the planet. And it was one championship. Someone grabbed him like a straight footlock and just like fucking snapped it. He didn't even blink. He was like, whatever, like, I don't need that foot. And then he continued and won, right? And, and he was limped off. Like, I mean, he completely fucking obliterated his ankle. And some might people be like, oh, it's just like a sprained ankle. And you're like, maybe. But when he has to fuse that thing later, right. and he no longer has use of his foot, like what Mark just did last year, and he can no longer hike or go downhill appropriately. Stairs are challenging. He can't ride a bike the same that he can. Walking takes on a totally new meaning unless you have a special shoe that has a curve on the sole. You're going to really wonder whether that 50 grand you won from that fight was worth it. Yeah. That, they were like, it's 50 grand. I was like, do you know how much an ankle fusion costs? And then never being able to move about the world the same way ever again. There's rarely a price put on that. I mean, just coming off the calf tear, I'm so happy I can just walk. 100%. Like, it is shocking to me to be able to just be like, oh, I can just get up and go over there. Yeah. As opposed to like, all right, how's it going to feel? I have to navigate it. Yeah, where are my crutches? Like, I was to the point in my apartment where I'd be like, I got to pee. And I'm like, well, I don't have enough stuff to do yet to get up to pee because I don't want to waste a getting up for one thing. Yeah. So it was like, okay, I'm up. Do I like clean the kitchen? Is it time to make lunch? Can I feed the dogs? Like it was always like this trying to like put more things into it because I didn't want to have to keep getting up. Yeah. And it fucking sucked. Yeah. I think in the end, most people would sell their soul just to have a complete body, right? Like in the end... 
Uh, if you look at it, this brought up a bunch of different ways. There's not a billionaire on the planet that wouldn't give every fucking dime they had to be 25 again yeah. or 30 or 35. In fact, I think the, the general consensus is that every single person that is the wealthiest person in the world would give everything they own for 15 years of life or something like that. You're like, that is the price of what you're, like what you're buying. And so you can work towards extreme wealth and opulence and success, but if you leverage everything that's actually worth living for, it's not really worth it. And this is something, this comes onto, this is what I saw when people showed me clips of David Goggins being in the corner of somebody who literally was listening to the exact wrong person, right? Tony just found the person that backed up what his head was already telling him. My assumption would be he went, I got to get back to who I was. Mm. And he went, what did I do to get there? And he did the craziest fucking training. Mm -hmm. So he went, who's the craziest fucking dude? And he found him. To be honest, like I'm all for, I mean, there's not really... I'm all for slaying yourself. Like I think it's it's worth it for introspection. Like philosophical insight comes from that ability. And that's not even getting a payday. That's not even leveraging it for anything. There's a lot of utility that comes out of it. I don't trust people that are unable to slay themselves. Right? Like the yeah. the inability. So it's not that I don't value it. It's that it's hyperbolic and it's taken out of context and now it's doing more harm because he's he's essentially marketing slaying yourself and that's what I have a problem with. There's there's no he might even touch on some of the topics that we talk about about you never know yourself or whatever, but the fact that he's become his brand means that people will seek it out and purchase it where he succeeds and then he continues to put other people closer in the dirt. And then the brand becomes the identity. The identity becomes a thing you can't get away from. So you have to keep like pushing that envelope. Yeah. I think. Uh, at least that's like, when I look at it, that's, that's kind of what I see from that whole aspect. I, I hope that people don't take this as like, oh, you just don't like David Goggins because he's more popular than you. I don't like that is I don't think it's that I don't follow the guy not because I I think there's like uh, there's some appreciation for what he's done there's also a lot of like silliness that I go man I wish because he had the platform he would say something that was useful to people like hey you should look after yourself because nobody else is doing that that is the I think that is a bigger missing key that I get frustrated at like people at that level that when they're you know talking about the benefits of training hard and all this other stuff, there should also be a balance of like, but you have to you have to weigh it and measure it and and leverage it correctly. And I mean, we do hard shit in the gym all the time, mm-hmm. but there's one specific day at one specific time that we kind of like throw the wheels away or let them fall off and yeah. like just go like fuck it, we're just gonna send it right now. Yeah, and that's FYF. Yeah, but we don't FYF Monday through Thursday, and then no. FYF Friday, and then do it Saturday. I would honestly say we don't FYF every FYF. Y- yeah, right. Yeah. Like uh, it, the the stage is set in order to have the opportunity to do it, but the likelihood of it happening is less than probably less than ten percent. And it's going to be very person dependent because oh. depending on bottlenecks of skill set, power output, things like that, some people just can't get there. Yeah, which is also fine because. The idea isn't to necessarily do that. It's to just give what you have for the session. The The funny thing was, and I, maybe this is so old that it's come back and become relevant again. Um, 
when we say do the hard thing, we're not talking about killing yourself, right? Like we're not saying slay yourself as the hard. Sometimes that's a hard thing. For the person who has never experienced it, that might be the hard thing for them to do because they can't do it. But for the person who does it all the time, the hard thing is actually going, man, everybody's going so hard, I'm gonna back off or I'm gonna take care of myself or I'm gonna stop and not do this because it's not gonna put me in any better position. <laughs> That was a lesson it took me a long time to learn. <laughs> Everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's I don't think that's abnormal. That's like I mean, how long did it take Mark to learn that? Has he learned it yet? I don't know. <laughs> I think so. Because he's because he's taught me yeah. it. Um but but essentially that 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 was the message that he was saying twenty years ago, which is like, Yeah, you gotta learn how to fucking hurt yourself, but also you also have to learn how to take care of yourself. Yeah, and I feel like I'm on the other end of the spectrum now where like the taking care of myself is more important and presumably harder for me because it's easy for me to get on a bike yeah. and fucking die. Like, got it. I can do that. That is my knee jerk reaction. It's like, people are going hard. I can get in the mix. It doesn't even like today. It was a perfect example. Like I really wanted to train, but my entire shoulder felt like it was not connected. Like it felt, I mean, burning, pinching, there's nerve pain in there. I slept on it weird or something weird happened to jujitsu the other day. I just felt fucking beat up. Yeah. And I wanted to train. So I started training. Like I started trying to work it out and it was like, Dude, this is not, what am I going to fucking get out of this? Like I'm going to have to work around every movement, still not feel like I'm part of the group because I'm going lighter or whatever. Why don't I just call it, sit in the compression suit, walk for 20 minutes, Go get in an ice tub and sauna or whatever, eat some lunch, and then fucking call it a day. You're like, one of these will help me be better for tomorrow. The other one will not. Right. And that that's the difference is like, this is the, the leveraging difference is like, if I step back and reestablish what would be good for me right now in the long term, what happens more often than not is that hard training gets deferred and recovery practices start being kind of like impressed on you. Yeah. I think. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I mean, there's always tomorrow, right? And if there isn't tomorrow, then whatever you did today anyway. doesn't fucking matter anyways. <laughs> it doesn't matter anyway. The, I think the, yeah, the tough part in this, maybe because we're just talking to a choir, basically, preaching at them, because I think most people that listen to this probably do hard things. Um, they might not be in a place where they have an accurate assessment of what hard is, but that's okay, because at least they're like trying to do hard things. The people who are very unconscious about their life and where they're at avoid hard things. So once you know how to like kind of, once you don't avoid hard things, now you kind of like have to learn how to take care of yourself. It comes back to the same thing that we talked about a long time. You're either proving that you're, you know, uh, proving that you're not lazy or that you're not stupid <laughs> every day. It's like, if I rest, I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely not stupid. Yeah. Right. If I train hard, I'm not lazy, but I can't do both. It's right. like one or the other, and it has to be in balance. I need to, for myself, at least prove that I'm not lazy three times a week. That's your rule. That's my rule. <laughs> three times a week, I just buckle up and do the thing, no matter how hard it is. Now, more often than not, that's actually seven or eight times a week. But I prove that I'm not stupid more and more frequently. In fact, the older you get, it's kind of like it becomes obvious. Like, Less, less intense sessions, more recovery practices. I can still go just as hard. I actually just need more time in between. Right. That's the only difference. Maybe. 
was just thinking I need to develop that three no lazy day rules because the last six weeks have been terrible. Oh. <laughs> well, aside from like major no, no, injury. I know, I know, I know. That being said, like even even if I fall into major injury or setbacks, like I still think of a way to do something, like to keep the habit up because I I think I'm terrified of losing the habit. I have a hard time with any time I've been injured, I just like shut it down. Yeah. Like I'll try to dick around with stuff and mm-hmm. I just like, I can never get into it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, a. Ch- I look at it as a challenge um, to work around. I, I usually see like something bad happens. I'm frustrated for like a week that it's not, my body isn't acting correctly. I can't do the things that I want to do. And I go, you know, there's a lot of things that I need to do that I don't have time to do. And so I just switch and go, cool, this is provided the time to work on those things. That's, right. how, that's how I got into FRC, is like a major injury and going, okay, I've wanted to do this, now I have to. I shouldn't say I don't do anything. I very rarely, when I get hurt, want to do anything in a gym, mm. but I try to use my time, like I try to like focus on education while my calf was bad. Yeah, or like doing yeah, doing yeah, yeah. stuff like that. That like the the mental part of it. Yeah, that I generally struggle to do because I'd rather be doing stuff in a gym, and that takes up the time as opposed to like, well, now I have free time, so what's the best use of this? I yeah, I, I don't think uh, there's different ways to do this. Yeah, um, I do think the cognitive part of it is very important. Like, man, I don't have time to read a lot, but now that I don't have, I don't get to train for you know an hour or two hours a day. I have a lot of time to read. That's fine too. Yeah. I think that works. The other part of this that I thought was really interesting, kind of a side note of the um, (laughs) David Goggins in the corner of uh, Tony Ferguson, um, from a coaching aspect, what the fuck is wrong with you to make you think that you belong in somebody's corner? I know they probably asked you, obviously, and you were like, cool, I get to be part of the crew. So I get that it's flattering. I get that it pulls at the ego. It gives you more brand recognition. But also, actually, I'm happy that it happened because it gave you perfect, perfect brand recognition, actually. Yeah. Somebody yep. who should have quit a long time ago and probably had a good person or friend tell them to stop. They need to take care of themselves and their brain and their body. That person wasn't there. The only person there was some sycophant charlatan who wanted to further his brand and imprint on the world of bad advice, just became the fucking poster child for somebody who could should have quit and didn't. That to me is like a perfect example. But from the coaching aspect, I go like, how bad do you have to be at coaching to not recognize that you're not useful? There's not a part of me that thinks coach and him go together in the same sentence, right? Because he's not. He's a, like, is he even like a charlatan? Like, he's not even at that level. Like, he's just this dude that, like, created a presence that everybody went, fuck yeah, do that. (laughs) Caricature. Yeah, but there's no actual guidance to it other than like you're a pussy, do more, which isn't coaching in any sense of the imagination outside of like occasionally here and there for the right person. How many coaches do you think that that is their brand though? Oh, a lot. Right. I mean, it it reminds me like a Bear Bryant 1970s style football where it was kind of like same idea with like selection. It's like. All right, we're going to go to two a days in the fucking desert for yeah. you know two weeks. Those that make it are on the team. Those that can't hack it are not. Yeah, the, I mean it's definitely on brand for even coaches that I know. No, none of the coaches that I respect would act like that or give any kind of that advice. It doesn't work at any meaningful level. I don't think. 
Um, and I would argue because I know people who have been on a team with him that it didn't work for him either only as a marketing tool right uh, which is kind of interesting there are it gives coaching kind of uh, I think it does give coaching it's like recognition though because a lot of people think coaching is just pushing people past where they're comfortable but they don't understand the process and why or how to do that right and that there's a lot more nuanced dialogue and context that goes into that than just like do it pussy yeah, and we we've yeah, all said it to that. somebody, but yeah. then generally it's followed up with an explanation, <laughs> yeah. like maybe in the moment, like yeah. in an FYF yeah. or whatever. You're like, just fucking do it, and then afterwards it's like, hey, this is where we like. You can't give a long diatribe to somebody dying on an assault bike yeah. about why they need to go harder, but you can explain it later. Well, people would uh, <laughs> maybe some people would disagree with this, but they probably don't have experience to back it up. Where we do, and I would say that. Uh, often when we're training actors or rich people or wealthy people, a lot of people think, well, fuck, if I got paid to train, I would, I would do it. Or if I got paid to have a six pack that, that would make it. So it's lean. and you go, man, no, you wouldn't. First right. of all, because it has nothing to do with the, the dialogue in your head that asks you to quit prematurely before you step into a new kind of person or personality. Um, that doesn't respond to monetary gain. Right. Right. You, you, you can pay somebody and it might at first wake them up or whatever. But if that was true, if, if money was the ultimate motivator, think how easy it would be to be rich. Because if you just wake up and work hard and sell real estate, you can make a fuck ton of money. But how many people actually do it? I'm also just trying to think about anybody that's, you know, deemed in the public eye as rich, wealthy, beyond wealth. Yeah. None of them are in shape. Not none. Sure. But, but majority of them seem to be not in shape. Oh yeah. Elon's a fat fuck. Right. Like he's disgusting looking. Like you can tell he's like not sleeping. A hormonal profile is through the roof. He's obviously eating shitty food. His skin tone means he probably hasn't seen the sun since like nineteen eighty six. <laughs> like there's there's like yeah, there, there's and Jeff Bezos is the same. That he's was like, the first thing I thought of. Yeah, he looks well fed. Not really. He looks like he's been eating like fast food forever. Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Yeah, perfect. Like you look at the they are the ideologues of like wealth and opulence, and their bodies look like I don't know hammered dog shit. They don't look healthy. Same in the same sense. Like I'm 41 now, which makes me older apparently. <laughs> But I went to a ministry concert the other day, not the other day, but like a couple months ago. And me and Aaron went there and we're like, we're like the young kids, you know, because it's ministry. <laughs> and then when we started looking around, I was thinking, because ministry is like, you know, kind of a generation before me. But I'm super into that like dark 80s stuff. So synth and Gary Newman and all that. So I was there thinking like, oh yeah, we're still like young. And, and then when I reckoned, we started talking to people that we knew there and we're like, all these people are the same age. <laughs> and like, these people look like terrible. All of them look terrible. Yeah. You know, you run into people that you haven't seen for 10 years and you're like, the fuck happened to you? And granted, we've aged. Like, obviously, I can tell in my face, like, we've had a lot of stress. Stuff has happened. But compared to the cohort that is my age group. Right. You look like appropriately aged to a degree, whatever that means. Yeah, for you, sure. Yeah. Not prematurely and all the people that go for wealth i think start to look real bad um you know i was referring to him earlier now i'll bring him up by name because i found it interesting <laughs> that he noticed it but when clem, clem got back from cleveland mm -hmm. he'd seen a friend and clem's 23 mm -hmm. so i'm assuming his friend is 23 give or take a mm -hmm. year 
and his friend moved out to Cleveland, I believe, for some sort of finance job. Mm. And he said he saw him and he was like, I sunken in, put on weight. He was like, he looked like he was 30. Oh, fuck. And like, that's coming from somebody that's fucking 23 years old. Yeah. Well, I, I think our environment, our society doesn't age well now at all no. because nothing is set up for it. Like we're told to put on fucking copious amounts of sunblock and eat fucking preservative rich ultra processed right. foods. I'm assuming if you're sitting in front of a computer 14 hours a day, yeah. the food you eat probably comes wrapped in, in a bag that's brown that either <laughs> says McDonald's or Burger King so, or whatever in between. Or one of those things. I, I mean, it's kind of funny too because like, uh, there's a way to do it. Like, I, I don't think you have to, you know, own a farm and fucking oh, live no. away from society yeah. to be able to do it. But there's definitely like an attention that needs to be paid for it. Um, anyway, like as far as the aging thing goes, I get, I get it. But also th there's, is there good examples of like wealthy, good looking people that like sports stars? Who? My Who? first thought was LeBron. He looks good. How so old he's, is he? he's 40. Uh, he either is turning 40 or is 40. He's okay. been in the NBA 21 years. Fuck. And he is still top five, top yeah. 10 in the NBA. Like, still moving and dunking and yeah. spinning. And, like, he doesn't look like your normal 40-year-old yeah. that ends up playing long-term. Um, like, Vince Carter was one. I think he played till he was 41. Yeah. I mean, Vince Carter is arguably the greatest dunker of all time. Yeah. He wasn't doing too many dunks the last few years of his career. Right? Yeah. Like, he looked aged, but yeah, like yeah. appropriately for the sport. So he obviously did some things to take care of himself. Like you have to, mm -hmm. to play at that level for 18 to 20 years. For sure. But whatever the fuck LeBron is doing, it's and insane. I'm sure there's like a genetic component to that. Like he's and always- a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Well, he spends a million or more dollars a year just on recovery, nutrition, and taking yeah. care of his body. Yeah. So he's taking his wealth. I mean, granted his sport is, you know, indicative of his body working, but he's like- making the steps and strides to find the right people to do the thing so he can keep playing. You mean he's spent 1% of his Nike contract yeah. on well-being and that's supposed to be impressive. <laughs> but um, the point is he's doing it. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. Like, And I get like that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk aren't in sports that require their bodies to function at a high level, but uh, there are in a life that requires their body to function at a high level. Here's my argument. If you take care of the vessel, the cognitive part actually gets better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think we all fundamentally realize that the connection between like vigor in the body and uh, vitality in the brain, you could put it, are like for sure causative. I mean, Alex Ramosi, right? He's yeah. looks like he takes care of himself. Yeah, seems to discuss working out in a way that is meaningful. But like, he's also like thirty-three or something. 30, yeah, but I mean, what was Elon doing at thirty? Fucking doubling down on Big Macs and PayPal. Yeah, I don't. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I I, I don't know enough about their lifestyle to. to I just yeah know, to accurately say. But I know something's wrong with it. Like you can look at it and be like, bro, you have access to whatever you fucking need. What? what and that could be anything. I guess a good example of it is like now you have like who's the Breca guy? Breca is the ten percent or ten. One, what is this company? 10 plus 10? Uh, I don't, He's I don't, a longevity yeah. dude who's gotten a lot of recognition because of bullshit that he says that's half true. Half the time. 20% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> From what I can tell. I don't know a bunch about 
the guy, I just know like they're using Dana White as the poster boy. Again. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Not not the best person to use, but they show, look, Dana White can see his abs now instead. And you're like, yeah, he still kind of looks like he has like a stay puffed, like, I don't know, TRT body. Like there, there's something there where you're like, you guys are just now leveraging, you know, hormonal profiles in order to get this like vigor in the muscularity. And they're talking about some like realistic things like sun exposure and red light therapy. And yeah, I think fasting and something like that. Yeah, the fasting thing is like, ah, dude, way overemphasized. Um, but cool. Uh, they still don't look healthy to me. And I can't put my finger on like why I wouldn't trust it. It just looks like they went to a longevity clinic and took a bunch of, you know, hormone replacement and maybe they got some peptides. It's great. They're, I'm sure they like feel better. But like there's other steps potentially that might add to all of that. I think there's like a psychic, psyche part of it that people aren't talking about, what which is mean? like your ability to uh, maintain your state, which is really where all of your stress is processed, right? It's, it's your cognitive ability to uh, deal with stress. So is that like they're, what you're saying is they're handling like the physicality side by doing the things that they're doing, but not taking care of like the stress that's caused from the jobs they're in and the... I'll put it this way. They're, they're doing the right things, kind of. But in essence, the difference is the, the, the central governing unit is not addressed, which is instead of teaching somebody what does what and how to control their state in the moment and moment to moment. Therefore, they could recognize what they need in the moment. Instead, they say, do all of this stuff. So it's like a shotgun approach to longevity where they're like, the difference being like, okay, uh, Daniel, obviously busier than probably fucking anybody could ever imagine. More money than anybody could imagine, which probably adds to the stress. Right. It doesn't take it away. But they look at him like, okay, let's get him. You know, his hormones are all over the place because he's processing cortisol like crazy. He's, you know, HPA access is fucked up through the roof. So they're like manipulating this hormonal access point in order to get these numbers to get better, which is good. They're giving him, you know, oh, you need to fast because, <laughs> because for cellular health or whatever the fucking thing is. And then they're... They're doing all sorts of DNA testing to test for methylation and and you know increase telomere length. All of these things are really good, but what it looks like they're not doing is making sure that his psyche understands where he's at and yeah. what causes what. To recognize a trigger of something that would put you in a state that you don't want to be in and be able to mitigate that. That is the difference because once because a all of that is free. Like the knowledge to be able to control your state in any given situation, free of charge. There's there's not a clinic you need to go to, but it does take practice and it takes somebody who like consciously knows how to manipulate a state. In, in applying that um, means that all of the other stuff just becomes tools of the manipulation of that state. So for instance, uh, you know, I just experienced X, which could be, um, a bad day or a stressful thing that happened or uh, I'm mitigating chronic stress, which is like texts and emails consistently throughout the day and this kind of like hectic lifestyle. If you can learn to change your psyche around that, you don't need anything to fix it because you've, you've stopped it from affecting you differently, right? So you're kind of learning how to deal 
with the inputs you're getting from the world internally and not letting them dictate who you are in the world. Yes. Difference being, I could become a very high horsepowered athlete. I could learn, you know, let's say I want to be like a CrossFitter, right? Or like whatever the sport you want to be. CrossFit's a good example because it's very general. Uh, you need a certain amount of strength, right? So what they're trying to do is say like, oh, do all the strength exercise, do all the capacity workout, do all the endurance workout. And then people are just overloading. But if you actually tune into what is required, I only need so much strength. I only need so much endurance. I only need so much capacity work. I need more than the others probably. But actually, if I know what I personally need, I don't overwork the system. I don't put in shit that I don't need. And therefore, you reduce the strain. What I see on the strain, or what I see in people when I look at them that are like longevity practicing, they look strained. They look like they just threw everything at the system. And it's like, good-ish, but it's too much. It's like looking at a CrossFitter that goes, I need to do it all. And you're like, you look fried. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Um, so you're saying like, go back to Dana White. Mm -hmm. And again, we're just being presumptuous here. Sure, but just as a, um, a thought process, they're looking at his blood work numbers, whatever. And they're, you're overlaying like what CrossFitters would do in the sport of CrossFit saying like, as long as you hit these numbers, you're good. Yeah. Without taking into account anything else, internal state, stress, how you process that, how you manage it, that sort of thing. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. They're, they're looking at it like, here's a person who wants to live longer. It's or, like plug and play. Isn't yeah. And they're like, what does Matt Frazier do? Well, if Matt Frazier does it, then it's good for CrossFit. Give it to that person. I'm saying that is inaccurate. It's yeah. imprecise. And therefore, you can't predict the outcome. Now, it may still require when you look at somebody's blood or you look at you know their hormonal profile or anything like that. You could do a you know Dutch test and get a lot of this stuff out where you're like seeing... Uh, how the microbiome works and it, you start, it, the, the weird thing is it's like it takes so much practice that it's like there's no flow chart that teaches you how to do it right and and you do it for yourself first so that you go oh that's how i respond to bills or grief or whatever and now i'm going to learn how to like position myself so i deal with it i think that's one of the things that you know, in in that's one of the things I've learned over the probably the past like 10 years more than anything is that all of these things are just tools, but you are the, you're the thing that's important and it, the tool matters. It's details are so important because they allow you to choose the correct tool. Right. And there is no generic tool that's good for everybody other than like food, nutritious food and sunlight and sleep. And is exercise good for you? Yes, kind of, but it really depends on what kind of person you are. I really liked at the breathwork um, workshop, was it two weeks ago now? Yeah, it was a while ago. Um, when you were discussing and, you know, talking about lifestyle, maybe think of this, like starting your day with hearing your alarm mm -hmm. in like the state that immediately sets you in that nobody, myself included, pays attention to. We were like, oh, fuck, I'm up. And then like my entire morning's like, oh, fuck bathroom. Oh, fuck coffee. Oh, fuck dogs. Instead mm -hmm. of just like getting up and like kind of going with it. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect example. Because uh, what, what I'm getting at is, <laughs> is, isn't uh, most people recognize that that is a problem. If I want very good sleep, how you wake up is one of the most important parts right. of it. 
but most people can't change the other inputs to it. So they just mitigate it with this like bullshit new age kind of like biohacking approach, which is like, well, if you wait 90 minutes to apply caffeine and then I have like 20 grams of reishi muscles or reishi mushrooms with like 20 minutes of sonics. But before, before you even get to it, you have to do like four hours of like processes to just make up for your bad entrance into the day. Right. And what I'm saying is like, if you really understand how important that is, you would set up your schedule so that you don't need an alarm. And now I don't need any of the other shit, right? I don't, I don't need to take ashwagandha if I fucking just sleep properly. I don't need all of these excess. The difference being is like anything that I add in has byproduct. Everything has byproduct. Uh, whether, and I'm not gonna say it's harmful, but just imagine the byproduct in taking capsules with the, you know, the process in making capsules, even if they're out of gelatin that goes through a factory and they have to, there's like, there's chemicals in everything and your body doesn't just like, thanks dude. It has to process those chemicals. Right. Like, you know what you're putting in because you can read what the Mm -hmm. bottle says, but your body doesn't go like, awesome. Thanks for the adrenal support. Like it's got to do stuff with it and make it. Exactly. And that is an extra cost. And I think that's the tax that you see on people that are trying to biohack their way to like this longevity thing. When in reality, they're like the human, the human being is, uh, if they just do some very basic things and set up their environment a certain way, they don't need any of that shit. So how would you, what would you do if you had to have an alarm? Cause most people's jobs and lives aren't what dictated. Time? My alarm today was 521. So I can wake up as early as five without an alarm. So this is, today was the first day in maybe weeks that I actually slept and heard my alarm go off. Usually like if I get up, it's like 508. I'm like, oh fuck. How much sleep do you need? Probably like seven, eight hours. Yeah. So just back up and then go to bed then. Yep. That like, this is because the difference is no matter what, any other way is going to make you exhausted because you are shortcutting the thing that your body depends on for rest. And so whether it's 8.30 or not, and I'm not, dude, I can't go to bed at eight. I have like too much shit to do, but I also don't have to wake up at five. But if I did, I would just do it appropriately. Uh, I'd make it work that way. Now, last night I was in bed by eight. (laughs) Not because that is not normal for me, but I was like, oh, I have extra time to sleep. And so I did. And what's weird is like, I was tracking my sleep debt and I was like trying to figure out how to like pull 15 minutes away from it from all the jet lag and all the travel and whatnot. And last night was a perfect time because I had extra time to do it. I have to fight all these inclinations about shows that I want to watch and shit that I have to get done and things that I have to do. But in the end, I'm not a fucking baby. I want to feel better. And I don't want to look like shit when I'm fucking 60 or 70. And therefore, I'm not going to leverage my want to feel good now for like watching TV or whatever for like, uh, why do I feel like shit later? Isn't it fucking weird though at 40 that you're still like, and you had mentioned this, yeah. maybe it was during the breath work yeah. workshop where I'm you're a like, child. yeah, where you're like, but it's not 10 o'clock yet. And I got snacks to eat and shows yeah, to watch for sure. And I, it's just like, <laughs> I spe- like I was recognizing it myself, like yeah. habits I had as a kid, like every time I'd go watch like a TV show mm-hmm. and it say it was with my dad. Cause we had one TV in the basement and one in their bedroom and, sitting in bed with mom and dad at 16 watching a show's weird. Yeah. Um, so we'd like watch movies or whatever together yeah. and he always snacked. Yeah. It was, you know, like a brownie, yeah. a bag of chips, some popcorn. And now you have to do it. And now I have to do it. Yeah. 
And I think about that shit all the time. It's conditioning yeah. at the deepest level. I have the same thing. Like if I if I want to enjoy myself, there is a subconscious programming that says I need to be chewing on something, drinking something, and it needs to. I don't. I, it's the same thing. Yeah. And it's just like, well, this is what I have just been taught: what entertainment is, or relaxation, or whatever the thing is. I interpret it as emotional feel good stuff. Yeah. And it's the time that like me and Aaron get to chill and like actually hang out. We're around each other all day, but we don't interact yeah, until night or morning. Yep. So I get coffee with her in the morning and I get shows with her at night. So the leverage point becomes like, cool. I either get to like hang out with my loved one or I get to like feel better. Like, why am I choosing between those? Right. In the end, if I just prioritize up a little upfront and I'm honest with what I'm doing, I'm like, Aaron, I got to go to bed. And she's like, okay, I will feel better. And then the time with her becomes way better. Right. And this is how it works. When you, when you get the cycle correctly, you don't need anything because the work is better and longer and more efficient. This is our this is our bet on everything that we do, basically, which is like we can increase performance as long as we understand that we can get back to the fundamentals and get the body working correctly. It'll take care of itself. I don't know how we ended up on that subject. I don't either. I mentioned breath work and I don't I think know. It had something to do with Dana White. Oh, yeah, just people looking like oh, shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can tell that yeah. they're fucking And people. like plugging yeah. and playing with numbers as opposed to like taking care of. Yeah, and you could see it. Like Tony Ferguson looks like he needs to retire. Yeah. Right. His, he's beat up. And I mean, that's like unanimous across UFC fighters. Yeah. Even sure. Dana White was like, I hope he retires. Uh, like, oh, did he really? Yeah. <laughs> Shit. That is fucking rough. I mean, if you have people at that level that recognize like kind of what's going on, yeah. like maybe. And I also get like, it's your identity, right? You've been yeah. a fucking mixed martial artist your entire life. It's got to be hard. Like yeah. it's got to be very difficult to be, um, I don't know for a decade to walk into an arena with 30,000 people cheering for you or screaming for you. And then to be like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. Cause the, again, if we think like, we got just an iota of positivity uh, from behavior, from eating snacks with our parents and watching movies at night, <laughs> think about 50,000 screaming fans ch chanting your name. Yeah. Of course you're like, I don't care what it costs me. I want that feeling back. But man, he needs somebody to walk him off the cliff and be like, bro, just take care of yourself and there's other ways to facilitate the dopamine or whatever the thing is. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I hope he listens to this podcast. <laughs> He's going to fuck those guys. <laughs> they, they don't, we don't, I don't know. I don't know anything. Um, honestly, that. like to me, it just looks sad. Like him yeah. walking down to the ring, him getting beat up. And I mean, it wasn't like a horrible fight. But like it also wasn't Tony Ferguson that you're watching. But maybe this is the maybe this is the thing that connected it for me. I feel very sorry for Elon. I feel sorry for Dana White. They look miserable to me. They they really do. They look like they are miserable. And I get Dana's trying to like turn his life around or like whatever. That all the all the best to him in doing that. But something looks artificial. Do something you, looks bad. Do you think it's even possible to like be at that level of success financially and like how difficult and stressful a job is and look anything but that maybe not maybe maybe that plus being in the public eye is impossible yeah because you're under scrutiny from everybody yeah i think you have to disappear from the world i think you have to go away uh, which i think jeff bezos does a better job of he's fairly not in the public eye 
uh, at least like trying to be. Yeah, I think we could probably all agree Dana likes the public eye. For sure. And it, help, it means part of his business. He represents. And so he might not ever get away from it. But I would say, yeah, it's not, I, I don't know the answer because it was just assumptive that I would know how to fix that problem. I'd have to like know him to be able to like un- try to understand what the, the thing is. But I don't, yeah, publicly, I don't think that's possible. It's, I think being famous would be my biggest nightmare. Not to make this a three-hour podcast, but like thinking about, <laughs> I'm sure magnitudes of money more when you're in, you know, the position of overseeing the business as mm-hmm. opposed to people in the business that are doing the thing that make the money. Um, like I think it was Chris Rock or Kevin Hart that had a quote that was like Shaquille O'Neal's rich, the owner of the Lakers is wealthy. But anyways, because um, you see people in sport that have a fairly rigorous job, mm-hmm. basketball, NFL, whatever, that make you know, tens of millions, mm-hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars, they seem to look a lot healthier than people that make in excess of that that aren't in a sport that's breaking their body down. By far. So do you think it's actually like the outside stressors coupled with not exercising? Uh, yeah, well, exer- exercise is a plus or minus depending on if it's correct. Like, I, I, I guess the best way to put it is like, Let's just describe training as um, a, a stressor, right? But it could be a positive stressor if it's the right one that sure. you want to adapt from. The difference is like, is maxing out on deadlift good for you? Or, you know, you could do that or you do, you know, seven by one minute bike sprints. And you're like, which one of those is good? And then the third one is like, you walk 20 minutes. You know, like all of those are training. Right. It's just like, it depends. So that that has to be like, I think that's where people get very confused about training and exercise. What was the other part of your question? Well, I'm just like trying to figure out like, cause you know, we're talking about people being in the spotlight, being rich. Yeah. Okay. Like sports players are both of those things, mm-hmm. but they seem to on a whole look healthier than like the Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. And you Dana think exercise is mitigating it? Uh, I, I, question mark. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's my, uh, Yes. I think because exercise probably more than anything is a purgative. And so you are processing a lot of, for lack of a better term, energy. And um, the other work that you do sedentary is still cognitively processing energy, but there's no exit for it. And that's why I find like people who are sedentary that who have uh, cognitive jobs, um, they, this is kind of this is kind of in the data too. When we look at them, you see very high HRVs, which are signs of good heart rate variability. But they're exhausted cognitively, so they actually need to eat, they need to they need to lower the HRV by bringing in exercise stress in order to balance it. Because then they'll have an accurate semblance of what's going on in the whole system. Because if your oh, brain is working more than the body, you can't sleep. Right, your your body's fidgety. This comes back. This is a very old uh, like yoga tradition, which is uh, uh, sleep is most often to the uninitiated, just unconscious states. But to the people who know, sleep becomes about conscious rest. What do I need to do to restore my body? And if I did lots of sitting and meditating and cognitive work in the old days, I would need to move. I would use yoga. Right, I would move my body and stretch it in a way that taxed my body to let the whole system come to rest. Because if you deplete one and not the other, it's unbalanced. Right. So you try to mitigate both the balances. But if I'm a laborer, right, 
If I work a labor job where I hit a hammer all day and I'm shoveling dirt, my body is overtaxed, but my mind is unfulfilled. So I need to do something with the psyche in order to calm my system down, which is why, you know, people like our friend Brandon shouldn't come here and lift weights when they worked a labor job. They should come here and actually like meditate. They should do very basic, low energy work to start to balance their system and their psyche. Yin and yang, man. <laughs> Dude, I'm so spiritual. It's not even fucking funny. <laughs> As you were saying that, the only other thing I could come up with is that the sports ballers of the world mm-hmm. pay way more attention, have way more awareness to what's going on in their system, again, potentially, than the person that sits behind a desk, fields calls all day, yeah. you know, goes to lunches and dinners and, you know, does that whole thing. Yeah. I don't know if that's accurate. It seems like it's heading in the right direction. I think so. Yeah, I mean, we're still, this is still something that I'm like working on because we're dealing with it right now. Yeah. With like, you know, the work that we're doing right now. So it's like, I'm like right front and center, but a lot of it is like revealed when, especially when money is not an issue. That That is a very strange thing. When money isn't a problem and you have excess of it, the problems don't go away. These are the same problems. Um, you have more options to fix them, such as like, uh, you know, you live in the north in the winter, and one of the problems is circadian rhythm. You can buy a hundred and thirty thousand dollar red light bed and fix that problem. Right. Or you could buy a fucking house somewhere where it's sunny and stay there for six yeah. months. Or... Most people won't transplant, which I think is weird. I do too. I right. feel like that would be the, like the perfect scenario. The total answer is like, oh, I can buy a fucking house in Texas or the Caribbean or whatever. Another thing I thought of that that just made me pop back up is sports have off seasons. Ooh, yeah. Right. Where like, yep. It's almost the same idea as like transplanting. Like I'm not, I'm sure people still end up living in the same spot, sure. but they're not in the public eye as much like doing press conferences yep. on TV. Like I'm sure they have their obligations, but totally. they actually get a break from the stimulus to a degree. And that represents pretty much all of humanity, which would be this, the, uh, you know, the spring is the, uh, hard work. Summer is kind of the break, and then fall is the harvesting, and then winter is the break. Do you think, how weird would it be if we all got like the winter off? Yeah, it would probably be great. But like with the idea of like getting yourself back together so you can go repeat the cycle. I, you know, in not such a direct way, it's what I've been aiming for. Like, so we've been talking about, okay, in the winter months, we're going to try to first try to make it to somewhere sunny for a month at a time in the winter and work remotely Yeah, with the idea that it is a break. And in the summer, we would probably do the same thing and then try to expand it two and two until eventually the the thing is like, you can, you're only working uh, every three months. So you're working three and not like, I mean like hard dedicated. Yeah. yeah. Like you're still, still keeping work, up yeah. with everything, yeah, but you're, you're still balancing things, but it's like, like big projects work or... in the spring, work in the fall and then minimize work in the summer and the winter. That's at least hi friend. Well, if you told me that was the goal, I would have moved back sooner. <laughs> I'm working on it. All right. I think we're good for today. Yeah. All right. <laughs>